This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, making the world healthier and greener one day at a time. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you all for joining me today. One in every eight Americans aged 18 to 54 suffers from an anxiety disorder. This totals over 19 million people. Women suffer from anxiety and stress almost twice as much as men. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in America, surpassing even depression in their numbers. These are staggering facts. So what can we do to help? How can those suffering anxiety get the help that they need? Joining me today is Dr. Kara. She is a clinical psychologist with CMHA's Bounce Back program. She's going to answer all these questions and much more. So Dr. Karis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Claudia. It's a pleasure to join you and have the opportunity to speak about this important topic. So I feel like the first question we should be asking is what are the symptoms of anxiety? It's it's important to define what anxiety is um, and then to understand those symptoms. Um, anxiety takes place in the body. Anxiety describes our feelings or sensations. And really what that is, is it's a biological response to a threat, right? So. This, this threat detection system that we have triggers our body's fight, flight, freeze, flee or fawn response. And that really comes with a, a bunch of, of feelings and sensations in our bodies um, that alert us that there is a threat there. Um, anxiety is distinguished a little bit from worry or fear in that worry and fear take place in our mind, right? There are thoughts. And these are often like what if thoughts, um, they're always about negative outcomes. Um, but anxiety really is the, the body's response. It is that those physical um, emotions and sensations that we have. And that, that makes me understand much better why so many times people who are having an anxiety attack are presenting to the emergency room with symptoms that are mimicking, you know, some other condition in the body. So a heart attack or, you know, something else going on. And that's the reason because you, you defined it, anxiety happens in the body. Yes, exactly. And so those physical symptoms often get noticed first especially in people who maybe aren't lifetime sufferers of anxiety and, and something is just bringing it on, oftentimes they will seek out support either from their family doctor or the ER um, regarding those physical symptoms uh, because they don't understand them. Their body is, is having legitimate uh, reactions. And so they go to, to get those bodily reactions checked out. We don't all, we do, we, you know, you said that it's a fight or flight response, but there is a trigger that's creating that response. So they, I know that there are also so many different types of anxiety disorder. And so what are they? There, there often is a trigger. Occasionally anxiety will happen without, and, and I'll speak to that with the different diagnoses. Dr. Melissa Robichaud describes anxiety as being like a smoke detector. So it indicates that there's a potential risk, but it can also give off false alarms, right? Like a smoke detector going off because we're making toast. So it's the same with anxiety. We don't want to eliminate anxiety because sometimes it's, it's necessary, um, but we want to reduce those false alarms and we want to reduce the extreme or inaccurate interpretations, right? Such as having an anxiety attack and thinking I'm dying. In terms of the, there are different types of anxiety, as you mentioned. And so starting kind of chronologically in lifetime, there are a couple that tend to occur in childhood. 
um, like separation anxiety disorder. Um, this is excessive anxiety or fear about being separated from a key attachment person, like a parent or parents. Um, selective mutism sometimes comes up in childhood as well, which is uh, a failure to speak in situations where um, the child is anxious, despite being able to speak in other settings. Um, and then as we kind of move through, there's um, what's called specific phobias. Those can develop in childhood, um, but also affect uh, youth and adults. This is where we have anxiety or fear about a specific object or situation. Now, there are a few categories um, of specific phobias that have their own names because um, they are so prominent. Um, one of those is social phobia or social anxiety disorder. That's specific fear about uh, a social one or more social situations. And also agoraphobia, which is the specific fear about um, situations such as being outside of the home, um, being in, in public transit, standing in lines. If the anxiety is experienced solely as anxiety or panic attacks, there is a, a diagnosis called panic disorder. Panic attacks can come with other anxiety disorders, but panic disorder itself is specific in that the major fear or worry is about having another panic attack. It's very scary, right? Especially when um, you don't know what is going on to you and you're having all of these physical symptoms, you can't breathe, maybe there's tightness in your chest, you're sweating, feel dizzy, um, and, and really the interpretation is often made that you think you're dying or going crazy. And then the last category, just to, to, um, to not miss it, because it's a big one in terms of the disorders, is generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and this is where we see excessive anxiety and worry, so the, the biological response and the thoughts and, and feelings um, occurring most days about a number of things. Right. So are the anxiety is just generalized to a bunch of different topics. It's not specific um, as it would be in a phobia. Some of these these types of anxiety um, are age appropriate as we're going through our development. Right. So like many infants have separation anxiety, but we don't describe that as a We don't diagnose that as a disorder because it's really age appropriate and they do grow out of it. Now, if they don't, right, and we're starting to see the separation anxiety in older, in older children, um, then we consider the diagnosis. In terms of it leading to something else, um, you know, the, the research does show that um, there are um, certain proclivities towards developing certain anxiety disorders if you've had anxiety um, or an anxiety disorder as a child. Uh, but it's not a one-to-one, -one, so it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, 100% you will um, struggle with anxiety as an adult if you did as a child. Um, and likewise, it's not, um, it's not guaranteed that you won't have anxiety as an adult just because you didn't have it as a child, right? So it, it can definitely wax and wane. Sometimes there's situations um, that can, can trigger it. Um, other times it, it, you just uh, start start suffering from it, um, similar to people developing allergies later on in life. And so I feel like, you know, younger people, I have children who are teens, and they use the word anxiety very loosely. So for example, oh my gosh, I have so much anxiety over this, you know, upcoming math test, or I have so much anxiety over this, you know, competition that's coming up. I feel like they use it loosely, but I also feel that younger people are experiencing true anxiety much more now than before. Are there any factors that are contributing to this? Yes, yeah, so I think it is both, um, that we're using it more as a popular kind of casual term. 
um, and that there actually is more anxiety um, either being reported or being experienced, probably both. Right? I, I do think that we're, we're better at tracking it, diagnosing it, keeping records on it. So that is gonna inflate the numbers compared to past generations just, just because of that. Um, however, um, there are also elements of life um, in the, for the current generations that, that do um, seem to be triggering more anxiety. Increased immediate access to information about world events, that's something that wasn't present in the past um, that our youth today have to, to deal with, right? They know immediately when there's been a school shooting and they might be sitting in their classroom, you know, that, that's going to trigger some fear. Um, there's also social media, which has so many benefits for our youth, but it's also an additional realm where there could be, you know, social anxiety in terms of the digital platforms. Um, there can be bullying, which can lead to um, anxieties about interacting in that way. So there are societal, cultural factors um, that our youth are experiencing now that haven't been there in the past um, that are relating to anxiety. And, and then there are, you know, there we're also just we're diagnosing it better and, and um, treating it more. And so that's also rising those numbers up. I agree with you. I feel like there are so many more factors that even I was exposed to as a young person. I do agree that social media and having more access to information has its many benefits, but it also has some disadvantages. But I do feel, and, I, and this is why I'm going to ask this question, is there still a significant stigma around being diagnosed with anxiety? And there could be some debate about this. Uh, I think there is. I think there is still a stigma around mental health challenges in general, um, but but for sure with anxiety, um, there can be a, a societal or a subcultural um, belief that anxiety indicates weakness, um, like a lack of strength, um, a lack of fortitude, a lack of resilience, um, like it's our fault that we haven't somehow um, developed enough strength. In some spiritual or religious circles, there can sometimes be a belief that anxiety indicates a lack of faith or a failure to engage in enough spiritual practices like prayer or something. So I, I do think there are still those those pieces of stigma um, and, and we're working hard um, at Canadian Mental Health Association um, and just in general as, as practitioners to try and reduce that stigma. Um, but, I, but I do believe there is some still there. And is it because it's not easy to be diagnosed. It's not an easy diagnosis. You don't just walk into your physician's office and explain a symptom that you had and the doctor's like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that is. It's anxiety. It usually takes five different visits to your family doctor and sometimes hospital visits in order to, for you to be diagnosed. In part, that's because anxiety is on that continuum where a certain degree of anxiety is healthy, normal, average, all of that, right? Um, but then when it starts to cross over into the extreme, then we take notice and we have those physical symptoms that need to get differentiated from, from the psychological and, and it gets tricky. Um, and the stigma, um, I think the stigma also affects not only other people's uh, perspective of us, but also our own interpretation of our symptoms, right? Um, I think as individuals, we don't often want to recognize that we might be struggling with anxiety. So we want to look for other explanations first. Um, and so reducing the stigma also will help in the, the diagnosis process because I think people will be more 
um, willing to to accept that maybe this is an anxiety and, and they can get help quicker. Before we go to break, I wanted to have you explain to listeners that a little bit of anxiety is normal and actually healthy. So it's about deciding and understanding the difference between a normal uh, anxious feeling before a big event or before something to something that needs uh, you know medical attention. In in making that distinction, I think what's what one of the important things is. To, to look at the effect on your functioning, right? So if I have a little bit of uh, anxiety before, say before doing this, <laughs> this radio interview, right? Um, that's normal. It indicates that I'm, I'm concerned about this, that I want to speak well about anxiety and, and that's okay, right? And I'm still functioning, I'm still having the interview, I can find my words, um, it's not affecting that. Now, if it was to the point where I had you know, uh, an extreme level of anxiety about this, where we consider, you know, seeing somebody and, and getting it evaluated, I might have canceled the interview last minute. Um, I might have, you know, some people might um, turn to a substance uh, and, and abuse a substance to calm themselves from the anxiety before doing whatever they're anxious about. They're avoiding things, they're, they're you know, enduring things with a, a lot of distress. Maybe you'd notice um, on the webcam that I was sweating or shaking, right? So there really is kind of a crossover to where it really starts affecting functioning. Um, and that's where we say, okay, this is, you know, extreme, right? This is an unusual degree um, of anxiety about this. And, and we want to look at that further so it can be, can be helped and, and brought back down into the functional range. Mm-hmm. And deciding between what's healthy and what's not healthy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times that's a, a fairly individual, um, individual thing, but, uh, but there are some norms that we can kind of look at and, and, and determine kind of levels of, of anxiety so that we can, um, can help people who need it and, and also normalize it for, for people who are experiencing a, a healthier level of it. And that's what we want. We want everybody to feel healthy and feel like they can cope and manage with the things that life throws at us. When we come back, tips on how to manage anxiety and CMHA's Bounce Back program. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059theregion or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Karras explained what anxiety is. There are different anxiety disorders and many different reasons that someone might experience anxiety. The great news is there are resources for anxiety sufferers that can help you cope and manage anxiety. So Dr. Karras, what are some of the things that someone suffering from anxiety attacks, what can they do in that moment to help calm them down to the point where they realize that there is a solution and what they're experiencing is simply your body's reaction to a sensation or a or an event or something. I do want to be careful because if you're having a, a really extreme or severe physical symptom, chest pain or difficulty breathing, something like that, I mean, the, the go-to would always be to, to call 911 or, or go to a hospital to get that checked out. Um, if you know that you have panic attacks and this is a common symptom for you or or you really feel as though it is it is more um, caused by anxiety than, than a physical uh, problem, there are things that you can do 
For the physical symptoms, we often suggest what's called grounding, which is bringing yourself into the moment with some sensory stimulation. So um, one technique we might use is called 555. And it's just noticing five things that you can see, five things that you can feel or touch, um, and five things that you can taste or smell. Um, just bringing yourself into the moment, focusing on those things will often um, sort of stop that alarm from going off in terms of the anxiety. Right? You can call a supportive other who maybe knows uh, what you're going through. Um, and you also have that option of, of um, reaching out for more professional tools like counseling or therapy, or as you, you um, introed, uh, Canadian Mental Health Association has the Bounce Back Program which can be very helpful in learning tools to get anxiety into that manageable area on the continuum. And I appreciate that you mentioned to listeners that, you know, when your body is having a reaction like chest pain or shortness of breath or trembling um, or severe sweating, always get that checked first. And usually after a couple of times that you've been to your doctor with the same symptoms or the hospital and you get the clean bill of health, that's when you know that what you're actually experiencing is an anxiety attack. And there are ways that we can, you know, help people. But I also feel it's important for listeners to know that, you know, managing anxiety is likely a lifelong process. It's like anything else. It's like eating well, exercising, or even, you know, engaging in a weight loss journey. It takes time and practice. Yes, it really can be, right? We know that people um, who experience anxiety disorders have this proclivity or inclination to have anxiety and it can follow them through life. You're right. In terms of developing those habits of managing it, I mean, I use that word habit because that really is what it is, right? It's it's getting yourself into the groove of recognizing the, the symptoms, knowing what to do to manage them, getting them under control quicker and quicker um, to the point where that, that spike of anxiety might not even spike so high because you're noticing the really early triggers, you're getting them under control not affecting your functioning and you're moving through your day in a healthy way. And also, is it common for a, you know an individual to go through periods in their life where they have high anxiety and then all of a sudden, you know, things seem to be balanced? It's not abnormal to go through that because I feel like people feel awkward and that there's something wrong with them if they have situations that sometimes trigger them, but then they go for long periods where they feel at ease. Yes, that it's, it's very common to have these, um, these sort of waves or, or phases in our life where anxiety is higher, lower. Um, I like to think of it as kind of our resting level of anxiety has a lot to do with that. Um, sometimes it's the extreme uh, nature of the circumstances that could just cause it to, to all of a sudden go up. But, but our resting level of anxiety, so if we can keep our resting level of anxiety quite low and, and sort of do those habitual things to keep ourselves relaxed, calm, you know, feeling competent to cope, um, then our resting level is lower. Um, if we start slipping in some of those things and, and not maintaining our mental health as well, um, our resting level becomes higher. And then it doesn't take as much to kind of push us over the top and cause a spike in anxiety, even to the extent of like a panic attack or something diagnosable, right? So it is, uh, it is really, or it can be really uh, impactful to develop these habits of just healthy stress management, healthy coping, paying attention to your mental health, um, to keep that resting level of anxiety lower um, so that it takes much more to, to 
push you over the top. So before we talk about the bounce back program and what it has to offer, I wanted to ask you if my strategy, because I feel like everybody deals with this anxiety every day on a different level, as you just mentioned, but understanding that, you know, you can talk yourself out of it. So I have a technique that I use myself where I give myself something to look forward to at the end of a day, at the end of a week, or even the end of a month. So whatever that is for you, is that a good strategy? Because I, that's what I'm teaching my children. Like every day is going to be different, but find something in that day. Like, let's say, you know, it's exam time. And so kids are a little anxious about exams and I feel like that triggers things, but I tell them, well, once that exam is over, plan something fun that you can look forward to so that it feels like in that anxious moment, it's actually not that bad. Yeah, I love that strategy, Dr. Claudia. Um, I think it is, it's wonderful to give ourselves those uh, positives to look forward to. And, and you kind of um, touched on like a, a bit of a distinction between some general healthy living strategies to maintain your mental health and, and keep your resting anxiety low. Uh, that would that would be one of them, like what you mentioned about having something to look forward to, um, or people might say, you know, being a positive thinker, um, seeing, you know, just seeing things in a positive way. Those are really great habits to be get into. Um, and then there are also sort of anxiety or worry specific strategies. Um, so you know, for your children who maybe have a have a worry about a specific exam, right? Um, then we get into the more specific coping and, and problem solving for that particular thing, which might be cognitive, right? It might be reminding yourself that you've studied a lot for this, it might be reminding yourself how well you're doing in the class so far, or um, might be reminding yourself that maybe this class doesn't matter that much. And so even if the worst case happens, it might not be that bad in terms of my future, right? Like there are things that could be specific to the anxiety, and then there are these general habits that are really, really good to get into and definitely great to, to both teach our children and also model, right? Because kids pick up so much just by watching what we do. It's not only what we say. And so that leads us to the bounce back program. So let's say somebody is struggling or having trouble dealing with the feeling of anxiety or, you know, anxiety, like that's, that's, you know, at a maximum, is, what would a person expect if they reached out and wanted to participate? Canadian Mental Health Association, we have more than 30 local services for youth and adults um, and for family caregivers as well. Bounce Back is one of those programs, and it's a program for individuals with um, mild to moderate depression or anxiety, um, 15 years of age or older. It's a, a free program. It's evidence-based, and it's a self-help program designed to help people learn tools and skills to better manage their low mood or anxiety, their stress and their worry. They they are they receive coaching um, from a trained bounce back coach over the phone every two to three weeks, and they usually have about six of those sessions. It's really quite effective. Uh, they get personalized workbooks uh, that are tailored to where they need the support, um, and it's really it's very accessible. So this is an exciting program, and it, it's just um, a wonderful resource. For people who have recognized that they, they do need some support in, in getting themselves into a, a healthier space. And so they don't need to have a diagnosis. They can just be an individual who feels that they're experiencing anxiety and just want some tools in order to be able to cope better. Exactly. Yeah, they don't need to have a diagnosis. They don't need a doctor's referral 
um, they can go to the Bounce Back Ontario website um, and self-refer. Um, if they have questions or concerns about it, they can talk to their doctor about it um, and their doctor can facilitate a referral, but they can, they can refer themselves. Um, and it, it really helps to, to get that better management of, of anxious or depressive symptoms. Mm-hmm. And is it completely a confidential experience? So let's say an individual doesn't want a family member or, you know, because 15 year olds, they require consent. Um, so, yeah, the issue of consent is one we could probably talk uh, much greater detail about, but it is a confidential service. So the individual um, calling in is consenting to their own uh, participation in the program and what is discussed is kept confidential um, aside from those times where we would have to, uh, you know, protect people. Like if there's harm going to come to them or something like that, we would, um, we would obviously want to take care of them. Um, but it is, it's private and confidential just like another, any other mental health service is covered under, under that. And so before I wrap up the show today, what advice could you offer somebody who might be experiencing anxiety, hasn't discovered the resources yet at, uh, you know, Canadian Mental Health Association's website and different services across, you know, uh, Ontario? What advice would you offer somebody who is experiencing regular bouts of anxiety but has yet to be diagnosed? Um, so I think I would, I would, the main message would just be that help is available right? That this is something people experience and help is available um, and you can feel better, right? Um, and, and then it's just a matter of, of finding those places where help is available. Um, whether it's you go to your doctor, you um, check out the bounce back program, um, there's, there is help. And once you learn more about yourself and your symptoms and the help that's available, the tools, um, you know, it's very possible to live a uh, a much happier and healthier life. And so I guess that's two questions, sorry. Um, so can you heal from anxiety or do we just learn to cope and manage the symptoms? Yeah, <laughs> and I don't want to be um, evasive in my answers at all, but uh, I think, I, I don't know that it's an either or, right? Um, so my answer would probably be, well, sometimes. <laughs> um, I think sometimes we can heal to the point where you know, we won't be meeting the criteria for a diagnosis anymore. Um, we might not feel uh, like we're experiencing any sort of diagnostic level of anxiety anymore. That's very possible. Um, people who participate in the bounce back program often get to that point where they're, um, where they're not experiencing diagnostic level of symptoms anymore. Um, and others, you know, uh, who have anxiety and are trying to get it under control, may be using those tools and those skills uh, for a lifetime uh, to to manage their anxiety and and they might have little um, peaks and valleys uh, in terms of their experience of that and and times where they need to use their tools more to to kind of get back into a healthy space that sounds so encouraging dr karis i cannot thank you enough for joining me today so if listeners want to learn more about you know cmha's uh different um programs or the bounce back program how can they do that yes so for the bounce back program it's a pretty simple website it's bouncebackontario.ca and that website has all the information it has some video clips they can watch and it has the referral uh info right there so they could get that started right away 
Um, and the Canadian Mental Health Association in general, the York region that I, I represent, um, can be found, the website's a bit of a mouthful, um, it's <laughs> cmha-yr.om.ca, um, or they could just Google Canadian Mental Health Association York region and, and easily find that. Um, on social media, we are at CMHA York. Uh, so that's a pretty simple one. Um, and there's lots of encouraging and uh, educational material that's put out very regularly. Thank you again. You can always find me at Claudia underscore Michaela on Instagram or my website, ClaudiaMichaela.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening, and I hope you all live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.